Welcome to another edition of Home Page Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson, and I'm in glorious downtown Bridgeport, Connecticut. And once every four or five weeks, the fourth Thursday of every month, uh, we create live and in color Home Page Radio. And by we, I mean me and Rod Richardson. Greetings. You just heard from the greatest engineer that I have ever known this day. And, and, uh, and I will tell you that, that uh, if it wasn't for Rod Richardson, you'd hear, and that's what you'd hear. And I think actually you'd hear a different show. Are you sure? It, but it wouldn't be as good as yours. Are you sure? I'm absolutely positive. Well, we don't, we don't broadcast dead air intentionally. Are you sure? Well, every so often. <laughs> I thought you did that as a counterpoint. Um, no comment. No. <laughs> well, to counterpoint the counterpoint of silence, um, this show is going to be quite interesting, at least to me. But then again, it's my show. So if it isn't interesting to me, it's going to be a really bad show. So this show focuses on why we have homepage radio, which is the universality of our homes, where we live, how, how we live, how we manifest lives, <clears throat> making a place to live. I mean, whether it's a McMansion or the backseat of a car or an, apart, an anonymous apartment somewhere, everybody lives somewhere. And pretty much most people want to feel good about their home. Sometimes it's just straight safety to make sure they're not going to get hurt or feel the effects of the weather. And sometimes it's, look world, I'm a genius. Or look world, I've made a lot of money. Well, you know, I've been an architect for about 40 years and basically... In those 40 years, I probably helped about 300 people make places to live from scratch and maybe another 300 renovating things. But I'm really old, in case you haven't noticed, by the way. And there, there's really a, a new generation, which is finding the truth in making homes that, that, that fit the lives of their occupants, just like the homes that I make for people of that age and older, too. And they, they're sized and designed to use as little energy as possible. Um, and the rethinking the layout and the detailing refreshes the home. And they also, these homes that are designed by this new wave of, in effect, uh, extreme uh, consciousness of climate change and global warming, they can actually be an inventive, interesting thing on a classically real thing. I've over 20 years ago and then 30 years ago, I wrote two books on small homes and they were incredibly popular because everybody who wants a home wants to know what a home is. And these places for architects and designers and homeowners really helped people see what was going on. Well, today on Homepage Radio, we have this unique opportunity because in, I think, September, October, but we'll know for sure, a terrific, and I mean this in the in the capital T uh, world, a terrific book called Pretty Good House, or I would say, perhaps let me get this right, it's just Pretty Good House, there's no the in front of it, but it's a guide to creating better homes, which is kind of a u universal goal. But this book does something that the Taunton Press, and if you don't know Taunton Press, they're fine home building and they published a bunch of my books in the past, but they are, I would think, the most aware and uh, forward thinking of all the presses that deal with homes. That's just how they started. That's that's what they are. And their essence is not just the designy stuff that I deal with every day, 
but they are they're they're also their essence is making a home that is built well that actually and built well means that actually will sustain and require less maintenance but also built well for them also means beautiful okay so i'm going to read you just two two little blurbs from the book um because i got it's not on it's not on amazon yet but i'll I'll give you the website shortly it's not on amazon yet but it will be and i'm not even sure you could even pre-buy anything but that'll happen and we'll make sure that everybody who's listening here will know that it's happening but what is said in the introduction of the book is is interesting it says pretty good the pretty good house or the book pretty good house is not a quote how to close quote book as much as a quote why to book close quote you will not find step-by-step instructions or prescriptions on building a pretty good house instead you'll find a guide to thinking through the critical issues this book was written two decades into the new millennium as global warming was producing record heat storms and floods houses were being built by the millions and far too many of them were being built badly They are unhealthy for the occupants, prone to decay and early failure, and they are energy gobblers, contributing massively to global warming. None of that is inevitable. We we can now, the book goes on, we can now have the knowledge, the building science, coupled with deep hands-on experience, to build much better homes. It is incumbent on those of us designing, building, or owning houses to make them better, more efficient, more resilient, and healthier even as we strive to make them more comfortable and beautiful. And the conclusion is this book attempts to help us get there. And I can tell you that that is true. And what we're going to do today is we're going to be talking to four people. We're going to have an amazing technological marvel of perhaps conference calling in two architects. And we're going to talk to a person who I think it was fundamental to, to, to the book first, who has who's been a builder for a long time. And when we're thinking about this, builders are seen as profit-making exploiters in a boom, as I'm sure a lot of people think about builders that way now. And architects are almost universally thought of as dilettante, self-serving uh, product producers of their own design. But the truth is there are architects and builders out there and they're described in this book as pretty good, um, that are home-based, that are client-based, that are site-based, that are not themselves-based. And that that reality is, one last quote of the book, is what this book is. And it says, a pretty good house is a house that's as small as possible, it is as simple, durable, and well-designed. It uses wood and other plant-derived products as construction materials, preferably local. It should be insulated and air-sealed well enough that heating and cooling systems can be minimal. And above all, it is affordable, healthy, responsible, and resilient. Pretty Good House provides a framework and set and set of guidelines for building or renovating a high performance home that is not that that does right for its inhabitants and for the planet without break, breaking the budget. So when we come back, we're actually going to be talking to Dan Colbert. He's the builder I spoke of and his ethics of creating things that are both morally legitimate, affordable, and that's part of that morality, but also aesthetically 
crisp, innovative, and reflective of their occupants is really what I think everybody wants. So when we come back, we will talk to Dan Colbert on Homepage Radio. Hi, welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. Homepage Radio comes on, well, about once a month. And essentially, it is about the home, the universal reality of the home. And that reality has been something I've worked on for my entire life. And occasionally things happen where people come together to actually create a consensus about what that is. So we're going to be talking today to four people that are involved in a book and it's more than a book. It's also a website called uh, www.prettygoodhome.com, one word. And that set of ideas is independent of any book or anything that's out there. And those ideas have really taken over these people's lives as they have mine. But thank goodness for them, they're younger than I am. So that means that their ideas are a little bit fresh. But joining us first is Dan Colbert, who is a building contractor who is a building contractor in Portland, Maine for 20 years, but he's been a carpenter for 35. So he might be old too. Um, and he has moderated the monthly building science discussion group, which apparently is quite a wonderful uh, thing I've never seen. Um, and welcome, Dan Colbert. Welcome to Homepage Radio. Thank you, Duo. So, you know, tell us about your history and why this book resulted from your history. Okay. Uh, first off, I just want to say uh, the, the webpage is actually prettygoodhouse.org. Oh, did uh, I say home? I'm sorry. My mistake. Yes, that's okay. So, uh, yeah, I've, as you said, I've been a building contractor for about 20 years. And, um, you know, at a certain point, I realized that, like, I had these values, and then I had this business, and there was a, seemed to be this big gulf between them. Um, so I set about trying to make them align a little better. Mm. Uh, I don't know how much I've succeeded, um, but uh, at least I'm driving myself crazy over it. <laughs> well, in your in your thanks to the uh, in your in your um, preface to the book or in, in your uh, dedication to the book, you said th- th- thank you for our families that dealt with your overcommitment once again. So you obviously yeah. have done a ton. So, but, but tell me, uh, were you always in Maine? And, and was, was the individual single-family home your focus since you became a, a contractor carpenter? Uh, I actually started out in your neck of the woods. The first house I ever built was in Madison, Connecticut, right. uh, starting out as a carpenter. Uh, but I've been in Maine since 1988. So, you know, all but a couple of years of my career. Mm. Um, and I've been in Portland that whole time. Pretty great city. So, so, nice. so, so, how long have you been thinking about putting this into an objective format, like a book, and and communicating this distilled knowledge? Well, so as you mentioned, we've had this discussion group for we had it for ten years until it got interrupted by COVID, mm. and um, we had a session called Pretty Good House, um, and it was really just we were talking about um, rating systems and 
you know, pros and cons and what, what are sort of the essential elements that we're really trying to get at, um, regardless of any kind of a rating system. So we had a great discussion, in fact, so good that we returned to it um, a few months later. And then one of my co-authors, Mike Maines, wrote it up for uh, Green Building Advisor, a website I'm sure you know of and many of your listeners may as well. Um, And it just sort of exploded, right? We had his, I think his article got like 100 comments. um, And it just sort of, you know, the the stupid joke of the title just sort of became this, uh, you know, abbreviation for building a thoughtful house. Um, and, uh, and Martin holiday, who was the editor really liked the idea too. So he sort of lured in people from other parts of the country to talk about what a pretty good house might look like in their part of the world. Um, so it really, uh, so that's sort of where it really came to life. We returned to the subject several years later as we all got more, uh, interested in, the carbon impact of what we were doing. We called that Pretty Good House 2.0. And we really were focusing on, you know, focusing very directly on global warming and how to reduce the immediate impacts of the homes we built, regardless of the long-term savings. I'm going to draw you into something which I find interesting, which is that I just wrote a piece uh, for Arch Daily, which talks about net zero homes. And as uh, I wrote about this primarily to say from my perspective, and I think probably from yours too, that the phrase quote, net zero close quote is a marketing tool to tell people that if you do the right thing, your utility bill will be zero. And, uh, and my take and tell me if I'm wrong is that your holistic approach is not about net zero. It's about making a pretty good home. Tell us in concisely what a pretty good home is. Okay. Yes, and I certainly agree with you. As 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 my friend Paul Eldrenkamp says, net zero is an accounting coincidence. <laughs> um, so, uh, pretty good house, really. Well, you you sort of hit it in in the in the excerpt from the intro that you uh, read earlier. You know, we're really about um, trying to do what makes sense in the specific circumstances. Right. Um, we think that, uh, I mean, most of us love all the rating systems. I think they bring up very, very good points, but they don't necessarily help you in your specific situation. Hmm. Um, you need to figure out, and the other thing, well, the other piece that you mentioned as well is, is the financial piece, which really none of the rating systems talk about. Never. Um, but we think it's a very critical dial that you have to turn when you're building a house. And we actually like the way it sort of limits your choices or focuses your mind. Well, that so you, really that, about that you just said there, the mutuality of money equaling morality is on point for me. Right. So what we're really trying to do is minimize waste in yep. all of its forms. And we also lately are much more mindful that, you know, we're screwed environmentally. We have very little time to do anything about it. So building a house that uses a fabulous amount of materials to save energy over 50 or 100 years is counterproductive. Uh, We need to build houses that use very few materials right now. Well, you know, just that, just that posit alone, just that, that idea alone is why I think homepage radio 
is important for everybody listening because we bring your voice to this place. So I really want to thank you a lot, Dan Colbert, for being here. And we're going to talk to Robert Swinburne and to Emily Mottram, Mottram, in the, the next few minutes, who are both architects. And you're the builder, they're the architects. And I think architects have an interesting, uh, I would say, bar to, to, to jump over, which is not just to make it function, but also make it delightful. So yes. I really want to thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. So when we return to Homepage Radio, we'll be talking to Robert Swinburne and Emily Mottram. And I'll try to figure out how to pronounce her name. Dickinson on homepage radio, WPKN 89.5 FM. And the music you just heard was the gift of Rod Richardson, my incredible engineer. And what you should know is interesting. When we do these music interludes, we are contacting the people that are going to be on the show. And this is going to be an interesting format for us because we are in our new studios at WPKN. We are going to talk to two people at once. If you like what you hear, I would beg you to go to WPKN.org, our, our website, and just take a look at this incredible radio station's oeuvre and the amount of personal gifts that everybody has to make this happen. And I would love you to actually try to be part of that yourself. Take a look at the website, see how you could fit in, see how this makes sense for you, because it's only through a place like WPKN. Shows like this and the unbelievable music and also information programming uh, happens here anywhere. And when it's podcast and when it's streamed, it means it's everywhere. Well, this, this homepage radio is focusing on a group of people that have come together to make something at, for public consumption called the, uh, I guess it's the Pretty Good House. And it is actually a website, prettygoodhouse.com. Um, com i think i hope that's correct hang on a second yes dot com prettygoodhouse.com and of course when you're talking about a house we just talk to a builder and builders make houses but some houses not a majority not even a, a significant minority of homes in america are actually designed by architects it's, they're mostly one-off products that are purchased uh, built and purchased from non-site specific designs and non-human specific designs for either the person owning them or the person designing them. Um, and they are commodities like your car. Well, because they're commodities like your car, you lose your own personal connection to them. And maybe even you lose your values beyond clicking, you know, checking off the boxes like you do at a restaurant for an appetizer, a main course and a dessert. Well, we have two architects in the line right now who have spent their lives making extraordinary places to live that are both ethical, they're not fast food, and are also direct service results. In other words, they are dealing with humans that are builders, humans that are clients, and they make together a place for them. So I'm just going to do a quick intro of both. So hang in there, guests. You just have to go listen to each other. Robert Swinburne. Uh, says of himself, I was a mediocre student in high school and he tried college a little bit, but then he ended up going to architecture school. And 
if I'm not mistaken, I have critiqued Robert Swinburne 35 years ago at Roger Williams College. And um, he then spent, after working as an architect a little bit, spent six years as a carpenter, which is not unlike myself that spent nine years in a woodworking shop. And with that kind of hybrid reality, he created an amazing place for himself in Vermont where he has done incredible work for a long time. And also with us is Emily. Now, Emily, you're going to have to tell me, Matram? Is yeah. that right? I got it right. Emily Matram, and she's an architect and a principal in Matram Architecture, not surprising. And she also has been a building science educator. And she co-hosts something, and I'm going to ask about this later, Emily, because this is too um, provocative. The BS and Beer Show, whatever that is, but also more germane to this radio show, she also does a monthly podcast, E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily, focusing on building science, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. <sighs> well, architects, welcome to be on the show. Hi, Duo. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And yeah, a long time ago at Roger Williams, you were the uh, fresh-faced, young, new instructor. Um, and I do remember being critiqued to you by you, but I did not have you as a as an instructor f directly. Do you have fond memories or do you hate me? You know, I don't remember. I remember tweeting. That's the worst thing, actually. Now I feel passion. really bad. <laughs> but that's good. And Emily, where did you go to architecture school? I went to Penn State. All right, you're a ninny lion. We I like, am. We, we like that. Well, let me just read you this little this little thing from from, from the book, and I, just just as a way of starting this whole thing. And um, there, you know, obviously every single every single every single thing in the, that is built has got humans in it. And and you actually say in your starting piece that um, in not in your starting piece in the in the introduction of the book. You actually list how to be a pretty good client, how to find pretty good designers. If you were to sort of talk to me about um, your reality as an architect and the fact that you now have created this third entity, which is, you know, besides you being a designer and the products that are built that you help build, you've now created an intellectual blob, you know, that, that is out there for anybody to think about called the pretty good house. Tell us how both of you started as architects. Oh, great question. Uh, at, straight out of school, I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked for a residential architecture firm um, that was just building really large homes at the time. The market was great back in the early 2000s. And um, we were building these big structures that didn't care at all about environmental stuff and um, my whole thesis in school revolved around that. And um, I grew up in a farm family. So I sort of grew up in like farm to table, whatever. And I thought this doesn't seem right to me. Um, and that was when every year after that, I successively tried to learn what would be better, both for, mm. you know, environment, energy efficiency, the people who lived in the structures, all of that. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a professed building science nerd so i just keep learning new stuff all the time and how about you robert and the question is how i became an architect or well, why the heck would you want to be why an architect? the heck okay so i don't think i had any choice really <laughs> um, 
I grew up in rural Maine, and I was, you know, in high school, I was working in a sawmill, so I learned about wood. I was always building things. I built a, a 12 by 16 foot cabin. I think I was probably only 13 or 14 years old, wow. and I lived in it every summer out in the back wow. backyard. And when it came time for college, I was hopelessly unqualified for college, so I just <laughs> you know, went to a, a state school and studied art and business, and that was absolutely no good. Wrong. Definitely wrong. Mm. So then I worked for um, a civil engineering firm for a while, and that was incredibly boring. Mm. But when the architect's drawings came across my desk, ah. that, that did it for me. So I applied to architecture school and was able to actually get in to Roger Williams. And the first week of classes, you know, Yes, this was right. This is definitely where I belong. So, and it's been that way ever since, really. And I live in practice in Vermont now. So, um, I'm dealing with clients and builders who are all fully aligned with what we're now calling the pretty good house principles and mm. philosophy and way of doing things. So, I'm incredibly lucky in that I'm surrounded. Um, and I, and getting this book out is going to be great because it's it's a perfect sales pitch. Mm. Um, I can just hand it to a potential client and say, here, this is your homework. Read it. So, well, yeah. so you, you both described how you started and I'm going to take the next step, which is to ask both of you and Emily, why don't you lead with this? Why did you want to do, or why are you in to the world of making places to live homes, single family homes? Um, well, that's a really good question. Um, and, and often, when you go to architecture school, you actually do a lot more commercial work in architecture school. Mm-hmm. It's, it's focused more on that. Um, but residential architecture is really personal. It's mm. very, uh, you know, has a lot to do with, with your clients and their relationship and your relationships with the builders and the other contractors. Um, mm. And so I feel like it's just a different world that some people's personalities are are better fit to. Um, but single family homes aren't going to solve any of our climate dilemmas either, right? And so that's why it was uh, really important for me that like, if we're going to do this, and we are going to do it, there's single family homes built all the time, you know. And even if you talked about in the intro, you know, lots is done without architects. It's like I wanted to make a you know the impact on not only how it is personally to experience and live in your home, but also for it to then, you know, be healthy and everything else afterwards. So, uh, so yeah, residential is just, it's a personality thing, I think. How about you, Robert? Why did you decide to do houses? Yeah, I would totally echo that. I think it it stemmed from me working for a builder and actually being Hmm. the designer and the carpenter on things. Um, And, Eventually, I realized I didn't want to do commercial. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't suit my personality. I really love getting to know the clients and digging inside their heads. This whole psychological psychological aspect to what we do, hmm. and it's you know I meet some of the most lovely people, and to to deal with their hopes and their dreams, it's like, can you get a better job than that? Well. Y- you both are siblings from another uh, mother or father. And um, I can tell you that, you know, as somebody who's, well, I might be a, a little bit older than Robert, but, he, uh, but, but he's actually pretty old, but I know I'm a lot older than Emily. I, I can tell you that I, I can tell you that um, the only reason I'm an architect is I couldn't be anything else. 
And secondly, I really do believe that architects that do houses are more like clergy or psychotherapists than they are product designers. And so the, the idea of, of being directly involved with our humanity in the most intimate and public thing humans make for themselves, for their families and for their communities. I mean, that is a special calling that um, I think your efforts for a pretty good house um, synthesize, coalesce, distill and project. Tell us how a pretty good house as a book and a website, tell us how that each of you, how that reflects your values. Let's start with Robert and we'll finish with Emily. Sure. Um, everything I've done over the past few decades here has been sort of pointing towards Pretty Good House. Um, like I said, living and practicing in Vermont, it's what people expect. It's what the builders want to do. Um, so it's, I don't have to do a sales job like so many of my architect friends do. And for me, the pretty good house, you know, when you read through it and you really see what it's all about, yeah, there's, you know, building an energy-efficient house, but it's so much more. And it's really, for me, it's about a, an attitude and the quality of, mm -hmm. you know, of what you, the product you end up with. And, you know, it is much more than a product. It is something super custom-made for a family or for people but at the same time, you're creating something that's going to last hundreds of years. So you're designing for future generations. Yeah. And, you know, just the quality aspect, this is what it takes to build quality. You know, and you don't have to go through and check off everything on the list, but just be aware of, to be aware of what's in the book is, is terribly useful. Mm. Emily, what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, Pretty Good House really came about as a reflection on some of the really wonderful programs that we have. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Passive House or LEAD or certain programs, right? But a lot of those programs are, you know, ascribed to, to everywhere, and they are a checklist of things that you have to check off. But one of the, the conventions of Pretty Good House is to make improvements until it financially doesn't make sense anymore. Right. And so sometimes in order to get a certification with a checkbox and stuff, you have to just do certain things, which maybe in your market, depending on where you are, aren't the most logical or realistic things for you. So we took it back to just the general building science things. You know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to do anything that's against the laws of physics, obviously, but we also want to take into account regional specifics, people's budget. How, yeah. how well can we do this? I mean, you could build a foam filled passive house in the middle of, of, you know, of the Vermont wilderness and it, and it could count as passive house where, you know, it's pretty good house. So we want you to kind of, have you thought about all these things if you, as you're building your house? And some of those are, you know, what's your, your carbon footprint going right. to be? What, you know, and I, I envy Bob all the time because there's so much cool local stuff in Vermont that, you know, even being in Maine and being relatively close, it's like, yeah, just one step cooler of getting, hmm. you know, local materials than we do. But we try to bring that into it with pretty good houses. You know, even if you couldn't meet, a certification, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do, you know, all the things that are really important for your building to improve the efficiency, to improve the health, to, to do all of that. And, um, you know, I, I have studied a bunch of different certifications. I've taken a lot of them. I wouldn't say I've taken all of them. I'd like to 
I, you know, I'm up for my next one because I learned something new mm. at every certification. So I think that those um, out there are they're really important. They're great stepping stones for us. They've pushed the market forward. And Pretty Good House is the response, which is what makes the most financial sense for you and your house and your family and the location where you are in the country. And have you thought about all of these things, X, Y, and Z. And it might not mean that you can do everything, but if you can do kind of all the really important things, then then you're building a pretty good house. So that's kind of where it really came from for me and how it reflects my values is, you know, like I said, I grew up in a farm family. We used everything we had, you know, we had like, it was this different community. And so it's like, you know, okay, maybe it's too expensive to try to go for, you know, a living building challenge certification, but can I take things from that that yep. make my house better? Absolutely. So. Well, before in the last two or three seconds, Emily, I have to ask, what is the BS and beer show? What the heck is that? So Pretty Good House actually came out of our local building science discussion group where um, years ago they started it at at one of our building supply houses um, where we would just get local professionals together and we would just, I've tried this, I've done that, who has a suggestion for this? And it was this really great idea and then Pretty Good House got crowdsourced out of that and then the pandemic hit. And so we were pretty successful at meeting, you know, once a month with a couple of different building science groups. And we have had people who have met us at other conferences who are like, well, could you record it? But um, one of them is at a brewery. So trying to record at a brewery <laughs> where people are talking over shit, like impossible. It wasn't going to happen. Well, so, I, I, I could tell you that, that's, that, that, that that description disappoints me greatly because I had a different interpretation of what BS was. But that's just oh. me. So, so um, uh, well, yes. but thank you both so much for being on the show with me. Sure. So when sure. we, when we thank, good talking to you both. So, so when we come back, we're going to talk to Chris Briley. And he's a principal architect in Maine uh, doing the work that um, a pretty good, the pretty good house uh, deals with. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Chris Briley. Hey, welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson, and this is WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio something, whether it's a dial or a YouTube or a something. And we are talking this week on Homepage Radio about a phenomenon, really, called a pretty, the pretty, a pretty good house, which is a group of people that have come together to create an extraordinary resource, both of technology, but also of aesthetics, about making a house that is smaller tighter, more efficient, but not subject to that bizarre hype and weirdness that we're all bombarded with here, especially in the Northeast, that declares that um, you must have this system or that feature or that material to be truly, quote unquote, green, ethical and moral, oftentimes making a home which is huge, um, extremely costly, but has a lower energy profile than other buildings built without those gizmos. So in doing this, um, and I'm speaking as somebody who's written a bunch of books about architecture and small houses, what this book uh, will do and what actually the pretty small, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, the pretty good house movement advocates is local registration to everything you're doing. And they 
project different ways of making things in terms of different places in the country, in different climate zones, and and different ways of making things on a technological level that is not boring. It's actually pretty interesting. So the goal of this whole project is to reach out to the typical person thinking about making a home. And in it, there's information for everybody. But in that effort, I have on the show Chris Briley. Uh, he is a certified passive house consultant, but he's also the principal architect at Bryburn in Maine, uh, where he practices what he calls architecture for life. And there's so many great interpretations of that. His life, your life, life in general, and, and architecture in the life of our culture. So he's also the co-host of Green Architects, uh, sorry, The Green Architects Lounge podcast, and was also a, or is also a, a really intense participant in the building science discussion group that we were just talking about with all of our guests beforehand as being essentially the reason why this um, pretty good house movement sort of exploded. And he's a founding member of Passive House Maine, and he is one of the contributors uh, I think a, a, a big one uh, to this book um, the, uh, and also website, The Pretty Good House. Welcome to Homepage Radio, Chris Briley. Uh, thanks, Duo. Uh, good to be here. So so tell us, we've just heard three people talk about the formation or, or I would say almost formatting and distillation of a really an essential human value, which is having an efficient, thoughtful and expressive home, whether it's new or renovated, having it use common sense realities and new technologies to better manifest what human beings do in making a place for themselves. So tell us how a pretty good house reflects your personal values, where you came from and, and why this, I said, uh, coalescence of ideas means something to you. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I guess it's sort of, well, it's sort of the culmination of, of like, uh, or the pretty good house is sort of like, um, uh, it's sort of like balancing all of the things, isn't it? I, it's, 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 um, I, in architecture school, we always had the, the form follows function, um, or the quality over quantity, um, you know, rules, uh, you know, browbeaten into us, or, you know, we always had spins on that, whatever, whatever, you know, direction that took us. But, um, then we enter the real world and we, you know, start focusing on our different paths and everything. And, and um, I don't know, I think, I think it, it really is easy when you are like working on, let's say a house for a particular client who, you know, as an architect, you might have a client with um, a lot of passion and a lot of, uh, let's just be honest, you know, a lot of money and a lot of passion and they've got strong goals and strong vision. And you're like, yes, this is a great project and all that. And you, and it's a passive house or it's carbon neutral, or it's net zero and you've done it. And you're like, yeah, look at this. And, <laughs> or, it's, or it's a living building challenge project. And you're like, yes, I've, I've done it. And then you turn around and there's all these other houses that are being built by so many people. And, and or here in Maine, you know, just like the housing stock of existing houses and none of them did that. And it's like, wow, you know, one house versus hundreds and many, you know, it's just, you know, uh, what are we all doing? You know, you have that, you have that moment in your career and I don't know if you've had it or if others where you realize, Oh, the, the act of architecture is not sustainable by, by nature, by, by itself. You know, it takes effort to turn, architecture into something sustainable you know you're 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 cutting down trees you're ripping up the earth you're mm -hmm. you're 
you know, making cement and, you know, it's not uh, a carbon neutral process by any means. And so it takes a lot of effort. I mean, you, you have that moment where you're like, oh, holy crap, I am not, I'm not a good guy in the whole scheme of things, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, the planet, if it had its druthers, would like to get rid of me as one of the people. So, you know, you have to pivot and really, I don't know. I, I don't know when my epiphany was. It would be like earlier in my career, and then, you know, then you're working for other people. And I think I, think I was lucky that I had mentors that really appreciated that and was and were like, yeah, yeah, come come help me work on this, make this thing more sustainable. And um, yeah, so then, so this, this book and this, this, uh, you know, whole venture that we're, you know, this thing we're all chasing is I think trying to find something that everyone can latch onto from, you know, the builder to the consumer to like, even, I mean, some of us even jokes, you know, like if, if, if my mom read this, would she understand what we're doing, what we're talking about? You know, like, would, right. would, you know, if, can I hand this book to someone in my office, you know, like, like a, like a new, like an intern, like a, like, or someone who's you know new to the field or to a builder and to like um, just a homeowner or someone who's, uh, you know, just starting to think about building their home. Is this book relevant to all these people? Mm. And that's a hard thing to do to write a book for all those, all those people. And and try to write a book about, you know, everything and, and, and try to, I don't know, uh, uh, bring all the values home and organize, you know, the, all the important thoughts or all the things that we think are important about building science yeah. and sustainability. And you were part of that building science group that, 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 that all the other contributors have said was seminal in your determination of creating a common set of, of values or reflecting a morality, which really has always been there. Were you part of that building science group? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, in fact, I should, I should chime in. I know that Emily wanted to say that that's what BS stands for. Well, I know. I, 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 alluded, yeah, okay. I alluded to that. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. good. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and um, so here's a, here's a thought for you. I'm, I'm going to ask you to pull back. This is the last, the last, say, seven, six minutes of this program. So I want you to pull back with me. And um, I'm deeply involved in something called the Building Beauty Program out of Sorrento, Italy. Mm -hmm. But it's also in, and I'm sure you've read him and maybe some of the people listening have too, the writings of Christopher Alexander, who's written for 50 oh, years yeah. about, about making things not as things, but as, as direct reflections of who we are. And I was on the phone with his widow today because he just passed away. And I, and I, yes, I, basically, I, yeah. I basically said this one simple thing, which was every life is dealing with two things, motivations and outcomes and our outcomes as architects especially but everyone really our outcomes like at wpkn an outcome would be that was a great show or an outcome would be for an architect look at that beautiful house but mm -hmm. behind those two outcomes are motivations which in wpkn's uh, oeuvre is making things that people are interested in public to everyone and in architects it's coalescing service and technology to make a product. So in terms of thinking about your motivation, forgetting really almost about architecture per se, tell us about how your motivation made you really almost latch on to this idea of a pretty good house. Wow. That, that was a wonderful question. And also congratulations on getting Uber into the show twice. There you uh, go. Legitimately that uh, really good. Oh, wow, that 
the motivation um, really, this is going to sound really trite, especially compared to that wonderful uh, way you phrased that question, but, you know, saving the planet. Oh, there you go. I mean, it, well, I mean, it's, but it is like the motivation. I guess it, it sort of highlights kind of what I said before, where you realize you're, you know, not saving the planet as selecting architect as career, mm. but by pivoting and saying, well, but can I? Can I oh. actually be part of the solution and make these houses um, part of the solution? Can we? sequester the carbon with the houses can we make them more durable and more energy efficient can we make them more affordable which i mean this day and age is, is really hard to uh come to terms with but but you know can we um you know not be as grand or as precious with our houses? Mm. but but through um moments of design, you know, bring in those, you know, wonderful, uh, you know, natural light and space, you know, make our moments there and make them through material choices that are natural and uh, sustainable and low in toxins and uh, do it in a way that works with, um, you know, the planet and, you know, leverages the elements and, 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 um, uh, you know, is, is less harmful. And, and um, well, I, you know, that's, I guess, my and, personal motivation. And that, and that would save the planet if everybody did it. And I'm going to ask you again, an uh, interesting thing about, about your choices and the choices of everybody on this call, and me too, by the way, boys and girls, um, is um, one of the reasons why houses are so amazing as building, built things, is that they are the, uh, an old architect told me 50 years ago, he said one of the reasons why houses are so great is they can actually be the one building that a human can know and control as they are making them. And that buildings that are big require many humans to build, control, and even own and use them. So the singularity mm. of the house as a prototype has recently uh, essentially been evaluated by the word, quote unquote, sustainable, like you just used it. Um, think pulling back again, the sustainability is obviously not just technological. It's actually, it's moral and aesthetic. Could you actually just, as we close, think about what is sustainable to you and, and to the movement, the, the nuts, uh, the, um, pretty good house movement. What, what is sustainable for you in general, not technologically? In terms of in terms of the movement, what is sustainable? Well, yeah, or, in terms of the beyond the, the checklists that that Emily was saying, there's a sustainability which I think is moral, social, cultural. What is sustainable, and how does that manifest in these these perfect prototypes called houses? Yeah, well, it it is. Uh, I think finding a way to do it. I mean, I mean, I think we've lost we've lost. You know how the word green has become completely meaningless in a way. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, sustainability is, is close to suffering that same fate where, you know, you know, to be sustainable, you know, it's just like finding out about, you know, carbon, you know, we have basically 30 years to become carbon neutral or else we're all screwed. And as you know, Dan so eloquently put it in the earlier part of the show, you know, so 
I, I think that we have to truly find a way to be truly sustainable in the way that we build. And that, that is, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is finding a way to, to um, find a home that is completely carbon neutral, that that is planet positive or mm-hmm. one that is, uh, that does not damage uh, the earth when it is made from both the short term and the long term and, you know, the immediate term, you know, right at, right out of the gate. I mean, you think about like indigenous societies, like here in, in Maine, like, you know, the, the sustainable home was, was absolutely, it was gone. It was seasonal. You know, it would be made in the summer. There would be summer homes and winter homes and they would, you know, migrate from uh, the winter, you know, wigwam vent. Uh, boughs covered with uh, hides and then moved to longhouses, you know, in the summer um, that sometimes the frames would be there and sometimes they have to rebuild them. And then, you know, five years later, they're, they're hardly there. Or, or you take an archaeologist to figure out if they were there, but, you know, that's completely sustainable. Um, does that mean we have to have, you know, homes that are, you know, we think durability is sustainable. I'm off on a huge tangent, I realize, and not at all about it. But, but <laughs> and we that. have two minutes to go, so there we are. Oh, all right. So what I'm going to close with is just this one thought, which I think is really terrific. The, the, what everyone has just touched on here, all four of you has touched on, is the elemental reality that human beings all have to live somewhere, and how we live is up to us. And up, uh, part the first thing we do is, of course, what we eat, then maybe what we wear. But the thing that ultimately takes the most energy and the most reality are our homes. So I want to thank all four of you for being on this show. Uh, and so, so, so thank you. Thank you so much, Chris Briley, for being on the show with us. Real pleasure. Thank you for having us. So and also thank you all for listening to Homepage Radio. Homepage Radio comes on every month. And that's on WPKN. And if you haven't already, go to the WPKN website, 89.5 FM on your radio dial, but WPKN.org is is available everywhere. And Homepage Radio does things like focus on projects like A Pretty Good Home. And if you think that, that you're thinking about a home, just think about this little checklist that they gave us. Think about your climate zone. Think, think about how that climate zone affects your house. Think about what the climates are changing around the globe and think about what that means to you and take care in choosing what they call your project team and, and, and to make uh, the builder, the architect or designer and you interact with each other in a way that reflects your values and also then learn what the city or town or county is that and what they care about and regulating you and really think about the larger sustainability of our homes, which is not just technological, it's moral and aesthetic. This is Duo Dickinson for Homepage Radio on WPKN 89.5.